You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, January 13, 2022. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, COVID fallout. A trauma center closes due to a lack of blood supplies, and Alpine County shuts its schools after 40% of students and staff are exposed. Plus, the California Report answers your questions about the new payment source for retail rapid home tests. Will it relieve pressure on community testing sites? After regional news and weather, it's Bravehearts and an essay from Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Yesterday, we told you about the massive blood supply shortage across the country and here in California, and it's already having real-world effects in places like Los Angeles County. The LA Times reports the trauma center at Harbor UCLA Medical Center was closed to new patients for more than two hours on Monday because of inadequate blood supplies. It's the first time the county's had to take this type of action in more than 30 years. The hospital was able to reopen, but only after reaching out to other medical facilities for blood. Alpine County in the Sierra foothills has declared a local health emergency and closed schools this week because of a rise in COVID-19 cases. The state's least populous county, with about 1,200 residents, closed schools on Monday after performing contact tracing and finding that more than 40% of students and staff had been exposed to the virus. They hope to return to in-person learning early next week. The county's health officer says its supply of testing kits is basically exhausted, and he's not sure when that problem will be fixed. A state bill that would limit so-called Ellis Act evictions will move forward in the legislature after it passed out of an assembly committee yesterday. KQED's Kate Wolf has the story. The Ellis Act is a state law that allows property owners to evict tenants if they want to take their buildings off the rental market. But housing advocates say the law has been abused by investors who buy rent-controlled units. They estimate it's displaced thousands of residents from affordable housing. A new bill would require people who purchase a building to wait at least five years before invoking the Ellis Act. Assemblymember Alex Lee authored the bill. Too often, many tenants in rent-stabilized units live in constant fear that their building will be sold to the highest bidder and be subject to an eviction shortly after. Representatives from the California Apartment Association and California Association of Realtors are opposing the bill and say it unfairly limits what landlords can do with their property. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adaptingcare. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Following new rules from the Biden administration, starting this weekend, the cost of at-home COVID-19 tests will be covered for people who have private insurance or are in a group health plan. That means if you have this kind of coverage and you go online or into a drugstore to purchase a test, the cost should be covered upfront or via reimbursement. 
A box of two rapid tests averages around 25 bucks, so this could mean big savings. We wanted to better understand how the rollout of this new support is going to work. So we called up Krutika Amin, a Kaiser Family Foundation expert on the Affordable Care Act. She started by giving us some background on this coverage shift. So early in the COVID-19 pandemic, Congress had required that public and private insurers cover the full cost of COVID-19 tests without requiring any out-of-pocket cost sharing. And so this was for COVID-19 tests that people could get at local pop-up sites or at doctor's offices or through hospitals. There was no such requirement for insurers to cover rapid COVID-19 tests that people can get at pharmacies and other retailers and get COVID tested at home. Starting January 15th, the Biden administration is requiring insurers to cover the cost of rapid at-home tests that people can buy through pharmacies and other retailers. So insurers will be required to cover up to eight rapid tests per person enrolled in the plan per month. And so people will have to submit receipts to their insurance company and then get reimbursed for the receipts for the most part. And was I accurate in my introduction? Will it be as as simple as just going online or going into your corner pharmacy? Right. So that's a big question. There have been a lot of pharmacies and retailers have been running out of these COVID tests. And so this policy will sort of also depend on people's ability to be able to snag these tests. Do you think that this will just exacerbate the supply issue, just having Rapid home tests paid for by insurance companies um, will just make an already bad situation in a lot of places worse. So the Biden administration has also said that they'll make 500 million rapid tests available. We don't have all the details for that yet, how they're going to be getting those out to people. I should also say that this requirement for covering rapid tests is only of private insurers. So people who might have a public health insurance, Medicaid or Medicare, the rapid tests for them may not be covered. Though the administration has also said that they'll make efforts for uninsured people and other groups to get rapid tests available to people for free through community centers and health clinics. And are there any situations in this where the the full coverage of the rapid home test wouldn't be covered by an insurance plan? The administration is strongly incentivizing health plans to curb instances where there might be price gouging. So they're incentivizing health plans and insurers to set up networks of convenient locations or retailers through which people can get the test, but then they don't have to pay anything directly out of pocket. So in those cases, if your insurance company has set up something like that, then you would be able to go get a COVID rapid test, but then you wouldn't have to submit a receipt after the fact. And so in those direct purchase cases, if the insurance company is, let's say, paying $15 for the COVID tests directly, if you go outside of their direct purchase or preferred purchaser, then the insurance company may only reimburse up to the $15. And do you think this could help alleviate the pressures that we've heard about on a lot of community testing centers? For instance, I was at this testing center in East LA the other day. I mean, there must have been a line of 70 to 80 people there. Do you think it'll help situations like that? Right. With the more infectious Omicron variant, people being able to test in the comfort of their own homes will be helpful to, one, like you're saying, alleviate pressures on these community sites, but then also get people to find out their COVID infection status sooner so that they can take the steps to protect themselves and their communities. 
All right. That is Kritika Amin. She's the Associate Director for the Kaiser Family Foundation's Affordable Care Act program. Thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Thanks for having me. And that is the California Report for Thursday, January 13th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. In state and regional news, Governor Gavin Newsom today rejected parole for Sirhan Sirhan, the 77-year-old Palestinian immigrant who was convicted of the 1968 assassination of Senator Robert F. Kennedy. A two-member panel of the California Parole Board in August approved release for Sirhan, who has served 53 years behind bars, and that ruling was approved by the parole board's legal staff. But California voters amended the state constitution in 1988 to allow the governor to reverse decisions by the state board of parole hearings for convicted murderers. Newsom elected to do so, saying in an opinion piece published in the Los Angeles Times that Sirhan, after decades in prison, quote, has failed to address the deficiencies that led him to assassinate Senator Kennedy, unquote. Kennedy's wife, Ethel Kennedy, declared her opposition to parole in September, and she was joined by six of her nine surviving children. They issued a statement today saying they were deeply grateful for Newsom's decision. Ubinet.com reports that at its meeting Wednesday, the Nevada Joint Union High School District Board of Trustees postponed a vote on a resolution that would terminate all masking, testing, and vaccination mandates of students and employees as of March 31st. Adapted from two resolutions adopted by other school districts, the draft resolution called on the governor to rescind mandatory COVID vaccination for students and staff. The draft resolution made no mention of other required immunizations, which include those for measles, polio, and whooping cough. The draft resolution, proposed by Board President Pat Seeley, calls for a return to normal activities on April 1st, consistent with local conditions. A revised resolution will be presented to the Board at its next meeting on February 9th. From the Union newspaper of Grass Valley, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously passed a pay raise for themselves at Tuesday's regular meeting. Supervisors currently earn $59,172 a year. Starting March 12th, they'll get a bump to $64,788. A 2018 Human Resources survey found Nevada County was 21% behind the average of comparable neighboring county salaries, Steve Rose, Human Resources Director, said. An updated survey from 2021 showed Nevada County more than 25% behind the average salary. The county's supervisors are currently the targets of a recall election effort. The City of Grass Valley announced today that Idaho-Maryland Road will be closed Friday between Sutton Way and Brunswick Road for storm debris cleanup. The road will be closed between 7 a.m. and noon. And speaking of storm debris, Grass Valley has organized a citywide debris pickup on Tuesday. City residents who have addresses with three to four digits are asked to put woody storm debris in front of residences by late Monday. The city asks that the material be consolidated into piles in accessible areas, such as legal parking spaces and flat lots. Piles must be labeled with a visible sign saying, Storm Debris. The service is only for residential customers within the Grass Valley city limits. Placer County is putting out the word that residents or visitors traveling through the area can now send text messages to 911 during emergencies. 
The new text messaging function gives hearing and speech-impaired residents the ability to communicate with dispatchers, the Placer County Sheriff's Office announced Wednesday on social media. Sheriff's officials also said people in situations where it is too dangerous to talk can take advantage of this option. Officials said people with an emergency should still call 911 if they are able. Placer County Sheriff's also has announced that it has arrested three men from Sacramento County after they allegedly went on a looting spree in Dutch Flat and Emigrant Gap between December 29th and January 1st during the recent state of emergency. Just after 3 a.m. on January 1st, Placer County Sheriff's deputies responded to a residence on Putt Road in Emigrant Gap for a report of a burglary. The homeowners surprised the suspects trying to break into their home and scared them off before calling 911. Deputies canvassing the area found a second home in the neighborhood had been broken into. The suspects were driving a stolen vehicle and had stolen two firearms and more than $4,000 worth of property. Turning to our regional weather, the 10-day forecast looks a little bit monotonous, dry and mostly sunny with highs in the 60s and lows in the 40s continuing through the next week. Patchy late night and morning fog and frost are possible in the valley. Locally breezy north-to-east winds are expected late tonight into Friday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear with a low of 47. Friday in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a bit warmer with a high of 66 and a low of 46, with winds of up to 25 miles per hour. In Truckee tonight, mostly clear with a low of 21. Friday in Truckee, sunny with a smattering of clouds, a high of 41 and a low of 17, with winds of up to 10 miles per hour. In Sacramento this evening, partly cloudy with a low of 39. Friday in Sacramento, mostly sunny with a high of 62 and a low of 38, with winds from 15 to 20 miles per hour. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Listen in as Tyson Powers and Joe Nake outline the two new programs at Hospitality House, the Low Barrier Beds and the Hospital Recuperative Program. So often when we do these interviews, people don't realize that Hospitality House is so much more than a shelter. Um, All these programs that we provide are all designed to remove barriers to get people into housing. Brunswick Commons, I don't think we had a chance to mention, partnership with Regional Housing Authority. 40 units of permanent supportive housing coming online. You see it up there on Old Tunnel Road. Hopefully be stood up in... February, early March is the grand opening date. And the beautiful part about that is that 28 of those beds are earmarked for, you know, hospitality house stairs. So what that means is that frees up capacity in the shelter. So we can now serve more individuals. Not only are we providing permanent supportive housing, but now the doors are open to bring more folks in that are out on the streets. And then the other thing I'd like to mention is we are in partnership with the hospital. We have a contract for our recuperative care program which allows the hospital to discharge people who are homeless 
to a safe environment for them to recover instead of having to discharge them back to the streets where a lot of them return to the woods and don't attend to their medical needs where they come stay with us. We give them a place to stay. We assist them in in their follow-up appointments from their post-hospitalization. We give them nutritious meals and get them connected to specialists and give them transportation and it's just a great program. The program, the low barrier beds mm-hmm. and then the hospital recuperative program. And so what have you seen with those two additions to Hospitality House? I mean, I can speak for the recuperative care. It's been amazing for a lot of people. Some of these people are brand new people that we haven't seen at the shelter. And they come in through the recuperative care and start that process and start getting back and finding housing or finding work or whatever they need to get them back to being housed and permanently housed. It's been a great resource for sure. I mean, that's, you know, we talked earlier about the impact on the emergency department. When folks are coming out of hospitalization and they have a gash in their leg Mm -hmm. and they go back out to the woods and it gets infected, where they end up? Where is or out on the street, whereas now they come in, they can heal properly, mm-hmm. we can bring in outside nursing if that's what's needed yeah. and navigate navigate them into the upstream yeah. services. Make sure they get their medication, that's another big one because if they get discharged to the streets, most of them lose their medication within the first couple of days and that's it. Yeah. And they don't follow through and they end up back in the ER putting a strain on the emergency department. So, mm-hmm. What about the low barrier beds? That's been a great program because it allows people to come in and kind of see like, oh, it is nice to be inside. It is nice to have these things. And the, Well, the other part of that is the pet program. So we talked about barriers to getting shelter and getting housing. The two we kind of identified was substance use and people with their pets. You're out in the woods. If you're not allowed to come into a shelter with your pet, you're going to stay out on the street with the only family you have, with that animal that you take care of, that loves you, that you love. So we are able to take pets in the shelter along with folks that are struggling with substance use disorder or under the influence. It's it's very difficult to be out on the street. You're in a constant state of crisis. So to not be able to get shelter because of some of the things that you may choose to do to mitigate for going through that kind of a traumatic experience, it just makes sense to open our doors and be able to serve the folks that need it the most. Are you pretty much full every night? Yes. So those beds fill up. People, the word right. is out. People especially, know. yeah, especially with this weather as it gets colder, man, they come running awesome. because nobody wants to be wet and cold out in the woods. You mentioned something, the Sierra Guest House. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to circle back around. What exactly is that? So it's a 16-bed capacity place that we purchased earlier this year from someone who was running it as a care home. We grandfathered in, you know, the people that were there, and now we're taking people 55 and over in there uh, so they have a place to, to stay that is affordable. That's And that's something, another thing we've seen recently is a huge uptick in our aged population. Right. Folks are getting priced out of their housing with COVID and the moratorium being lifted. So we're seeing two really big sectors we're seeing as an uptick in families women with children that are, you know, just had recently are either pregnant or just had children or our age of population. So being able to provide permanent housing, that's really the next iteration of Hospitality House right. is where we work what's called along what's called the continuum of care. Everything from street outreach, meeting people where they're at, to finally being housed and everything in between, all the services in between. So it only makes sense that we are on that entire continuum seeing people through the entire process. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. 
This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. After an entire year of trying to coax myself to start painting again, oil painting, not house painting, which is what I really should be doing, I finally started. What a mess it is, and wow, am I terrible at it. Everything looks like an outline instead of a solid object. And still lives, lives that used to be fun and challenging now seem impossible. I feel like my eyes don't work anymore, or my mind, or something. Granted, it's only been three days, but I'm shocked at how inept I became after stopping for a few years. I'm going to try again today because my favorite thing is to paint outdoors on the deck when it's not too hot. A brief window around here, since they're saying 90s next week. I'm not painting en plein air, which is when you paint what you see outside. I'm painting the Yuba from a photograph, but just doing it outdoors. I doubt this has a special name. What I love about painting is the lack of language. I'm pretty worded out these days. About all I can muster on social media is a bunch of heart emojis. So a few hours facing a Yuba photo or some peonies in a green vase, and only talking briefly and sternly to Jack, is wonderful. My cat Jack would like nothing more than to jump straight onto my palette and get oily paw prints all over the deck. I feel relaxed but alert, trying to remind my eyes to paint the real peony leaf folding over the edge of the glass, and not some idea of a leaf that's stored in my head. This is really hard, and such a great lesson for the rest of life. Not that I need any more lessons, thank you. I love mixing colors, too, and using weird ones I'd never wear or let into the house, like neon green, which amps up a peony leaf in exactly the right way, it turns out. I'm remembering things from the several years I painted regularly, too, such as where the light is coming from determining where the shadows lie, not just the glaze on a vase's lip and side. I made a few hilarious mistakes before I realized that I'd learned this once, and it was why one of my vase paintings was making me dizzy. With painting, you have to keep coming back to reality, to what you really see. The details confound and frustrate me. I took a painting of petunias in a glass by my cousin Miranda off the kitchen wall and carried it outside for a tutorial. She's a real painter. Her vase and the water in it and the two background colors were all shades of gray, and there was lots more paint than I'm using. It was almost gloppy in a wonderful way that made the picture exciting. The brush strokes were obvious and luscious. I like the way stems in water are refracted and look unattached to the part of the stem above the water line. I have no idea how to replicate that on canvas, but I'm going to be working on it. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City 
and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, The Climate Report with your host, Martin Webb. At 7 p.m. on Democracy Now!, Amy Goodman speaks to Ari Berman of Mother Jones on his piece, The Coming Coup, How Republicans Are Laying the Groundwork to Steal Future Elections. After that, we return to the music you love, Jazz Workshop at 8, followed at 10 by Jive AF with Step D. Luna. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And SPD Markets, serving Nevada County for over 60 years with locations on Zion Street, Nevada City, and McKnight Way, Grass Valley. Offering conventional, organic, and local products, produce, also specialty food. Information online, spdmarket.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 with the KVMR Evening News. 